The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Between pods and video streams and tutorials and whatever else is going on, I'm not really sure I've stopped talking in 11 years. No, really. Today's been a day for talking. This is Fantasy NBA Today. It's your Tuesday edition. I am recording it late on Monday night, which is why I can make a statement like that. And I am Dan Bespers, your gracious host. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Dan Bespris. You guys know the drill. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Or just Google Dan from Hoopball. I would love it, love it, if you followed me on social media. It is where I do a lot of my thinking out loud during the day. All of these different fantasy notes that come pinging in from different angles. That's where you can get my immediate thoughts on it if you don't want to wait around until the next day's podcast. Or both. This is a Hoopball and a Wine Isles Kona Coffee Company presentation. Hoopball is our benevolent overlords, creators of all in the fantasy landscape that we are accustomed to. Hoop-ball.com, at HoopballFantasy is the Twitter. Hope you guys got in there yesterday. It's still running for a whole week, remember. We have a promotion going right now where if you sign up for the Brews letter, our weekly Hoopball newsletter direct to your inbox from the great Aaron Brewski, and retweet one particular tweet. I'm actually going to I'll make sure that I continue to quote tweet it regularly so that you guys don't you guys don't miss it, right? Want to make sure that you guys see what's going on. Then you can get one of three incredible prizes. You have a choice actually between the three. Either free membership to our Game Time Premium subscription, so the full season package if that's your jam. If you already have that, you can pick from one of the other two, which is a spot in a specialty hoop ball league next year. Not just one of our hoop ball leagues. This would be like a with staff pro league kind of thing. Or you can make a guest appearance on a podcast here at Hoop Ball, preferably mine. I'd love to get to know you guys. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, again, that tweet was sent out at 8 a.m. I had my, my wires crossed on yesterday's show. The tweet was sent out at 8 a.m. on Monday. Pacific time, and all you got to do is go find it. Go find that tweet. I'm gonna get. I mean, we'll continue to promote it for the next six days in a row. Retweet it. Use the link to sign up for the Bruise letter, and that is how you enter. You don't have to do anything more than that. We can. We're able to track everything else ourselves. And Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. HawaiianIsles.com. H I Kona Coffee on Twitter. I almost wanted to open with the Rashawn Holmes shoulder thing, but we'll save that until we get into the Warriors-Kings recap because, as it turns out, and one of the benefits of actually doing parts of a podcast the night before and then parts the morning of is that we can get a little bit more information. And it sounds like, at least right now, as of Tuesday morning, it's not that bad. So we'll talk about that when we get into that particular ballgame. Busy! Busy freaking Monday, wasn't it? Nine games slate. A lot of the guys that I like the best didn't have the world's greatest fantasy lines. It was a weirdo day, but they happen. You kind of just have to swallow it down and move along to the next one. It's not as though everybody was terrible. It was just sort of weird games. Orlando, Brooklyn went under. Boston, Washington went under. 
Then there was a handful of overs in the middle of the day. That was a weird one. A few unders, a few overs. Warriors couldn't hit anything. Literally could not throw a, a boulder in the ocean. What did they have? They had like 30 points at halftime or something gross. Anyway, let's just d- dive right into it. Brooklyn lost at Orlando. Magic somehow managing to keep this, this ship held together. Not that it matters, though. And I believe they actually passed to the Nets for the seven seed with this victory. How did they do it? Well, actually, Markel Fultz had a pretty good ball game. That's nice because he'd been trending down very hard lately. Terrence Ross has been playing better. A lot of guys stepping up a little bit. This is a team that's going to rely a lot on their defense. Nick Vucevic had 24 rebounds in this game. Meanwhile, on the Brooklyn side, it was a quiet one. Spencer Dinwiddie has been trending down really hard. I mean, they desperately need him to find some sort of efficiency. Or really, what you could be looking at here is just a team that ran out of gas without Kyrie Irving. You sort of knew it had to happen. Karis LeVert back in the last one, then he took this one off. Dinwiddie is back outside the top 100. And over the last month, even though he's scoring almost 28 points a game over that stretch, he's actually outside the top 150. That is hard to do, to be outside the top 150 despite being one of the highest scoring players in the league over the month. He's averaging 28-7, and but high volume, 74% free throw, very high volume, 43.5% from the field, 3.5 turnovers a game, and almost no defensive stats at all. It has been a super weird month to be a Spencer Dinwiddie fantasy owner. And I feel a lot better about my strong recommendations to just bail on him early because his game was insufficient. And then he sort of made me look dumb with a few weeks where he was going nuts and efficient. And that's now fallen off a cliff and he's leveled off. So I feel better. I feel better. Apologies if you don't. But that one makes me now closer to being right. I don't know Kyrie Irving's ever playing again this year, but at least we're seeing the Dinwiddie we sort of knew before. Boston lost in Washington. I mean, a lot of teams are doing this to Washington. People are, they're having too much fun the night before in our nation's capital, apparently. No Bradley Beal. So Jordan McRae just kept on chugging. He took 24 shots in this game. Goodness gracious. 19-7-1, two steals, three blocks. You can stream the hell out of him as long as Beal is out. Ish Smith was good with 27 points, but he has a rough time with other parts of his fantasy game, so I'm not really getting in on the Ish action to this point. I've seen enough to know what his fantasy game can do. He's hot right now. Shots are dropping, but when they stop, it gets ugly quick. Not a good foul shooter. Lower steal count than you might expect from someone of his speed. And that, I mean, that's the story for Washington. Guys are supposed to be back. Garrison Matthews, who I assume was just a made-up player anyway, got hurt. Troy Brown Jr. continues to be decent. Isaiah Thomas was a little bit better, but he only played 23 minutes. It's messy, man. Jordan McRae is, is your guy right now. And for Boston, Ennis Cantor didn't take any shots. It was weird. He went two for three from the field. 11 rebounds, got a block. Everything else was right where you want it to be, so I'm not going to abandon ship. Gordon Hayward finally had a poor shooting game. The whole Boston Celtics had a poor shooting game. Cantor was one of the only ones who didn't miss a whole bunch of shots. Jalen Brown had a big empty double-double. Jason Tatum, quiet. Marcus Smart was okay. They really needed Kemba Walker, is my brilliant assessment of what went wrong in that ballgame. So not a whole lot changes. On the Beal front, we've been getting a lot of questions on what to do with Bradley Beal. And it's unclear exactly, but I'm definitely not abandoning ship. 
I still have confidence that he's going to come back and play. Not because there's a whole lot of stuff to play for, but because it's January 7th. There's just a lot of time left in the season on a team that's actually kind of having fun. They're having fun. I think he wants to be a part of it. So I don't think this is shutdown time yet. And to those that are asking if it's time to trade him away, the answer is a resounding no. You do that when he comes back, which I realize is a difficult mental hurdle to get over. It's why more trades don't happen in fantasy NBA. Because most people want to trade guys when they don't want them. Wrong. That doesn't work. Nobody wants your guy when he's hurt. Unless you get someone willing to take a big-time risk, and then if that's the case, you have to be willing to part for pennies on the dollar, which you don't want to do either. So we all got to get over this hump together. You can say it with me if you like. I don't care. We can turn it into some sort of mantra. Sell high. It's almost like this is a thing. It's almost like this is a phrase that people used before. Sell high. Not low. Not when a guy's future is nebulous. Not when he might be getting shut down. If you sell right now, you have to be okay with taking back a top 50 guy. You have to be okay with taking back... And that doesn't mean somebody bad. There are plenty of decent players inside the top 50. You know, maybe you could get a Brooke Lopez or a, a Chris Middleton... These guys are in the 40s. Or, or maybe you go a little deeper and you take a, a flyer on a Mitchell Robinson or DeMar DeRozan, who's always just hovering around 45 to 60. Zach Levine is 50. Probably won't even get him. Beal is 32 leading up to this point, so it wasn't like he was a top guy anyway. You're, you're just not going to get back what you want for him right now. It's not going to happen. So let him come back and play a little bit. I mean, he's played in 31 games. You know, you're freaking out about it. I know that there's a lot of shutdown risk, but 31 games, that's not nothing. That's the same number as Joel Embiid. That's three more than Kawhi Leonard. That's eight more than Carl Anthony Towns, who we're all panicking about also. It's more than Clint Capella, Pascal Siakam, Nick Vucevic. It's okay. It's all right. Everybody just take a deep breath. Let's let this thing play out a little bit longer. Indiana beat Charlotte. This one surprised me, actually. I thought Charlotte was going to keep this ballgame close. They did for a while, and then Indy went on a serious run in the second half, led by stalwart T.J. Warren. How many times did we say earlier in the year, hold, hold, we yelled, hold. He's getting dropped in places. We said, don't, don't do it. And now he's inside the top 70. Yeah, just coasting along, not worried about Victor Oladipo, doesn't play his position on the floor. Might lose a couple of shots. Don't care. High-efficiency guy shooting 50% from the field, 83 at the foul line. Doing great. Doing great. Love it. Averaging 18.5 points, four boards, a steal, and a three-pointer. It's easy. Easy money. We knew that one right from the outset. He'd have a, a nice, solid roll. Demontis Sabonis was decent. Hurt his leg, came back, double-double, another good ball. I mean, this is like... It's a good good game, and it, we're used to it. Miles Turner was better, 15-9 and nine with three blocks. He actually had four blocks at halftime, then they took one away, and then he didn't get any in the second half. Justin Holiday got ejected. Aaron Holiday had a tough time with his fill-in work, and TJ McConnell kind of outplayed him a little bit. Charlotte, we've been watching Miles Bridges. He actually had a really nice ball game here. I don't know that this efficiency is going to stick, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. 
I prefer Rozier Graham and P.J. Washington among the Charlotte regulars. Miles Bridges, you're going to have to do it more than one or two times for me to really buy in. And then the rest of the team is garbage. That's not fair. They're just not interesting. I have a lot of pacers on my 30-deep team. This is something that I've had to come to terms with. And I'm okay with it. Okay, see, at Philadelphia, I said it on yesterday's podcast, Chris Paul always does more in their bigger ball games. He got off to a really good start, slowed markedly in the second half, ended up with five fouls as well, so that put a little bit of a dent into it. OKC just kind of got beat up in the second half. We mentioned on yesterday's show how good Philadelphia is at home. And they showed it. It came through with 120 points. Ben Simmons was great. Tobias Harris was better. Josh Richardson was good. Joel Embiid was fine. Almost triple-doubled, but a, a severe lack of other stuff. And then Al Horford, he's quieted a bit after a decent start. I don't know if he's a buy low. He's certainly not a sell high. He just sort of quietly Al Horford. He's fine. Shea slowed down a bit in this one. Gallo was okay. It was really, it, it, other than Steven Adams and actually Dennis Schroeder a bit off the bench, the Thunder just had a tough time scoring the basketball. So what are you going to do? Next on the docket. There were, there were a lot of teams that played on, on Monday night that we weren't really paying close attention to. Nikola Jokic, big one, 47-8-5. Missed a bunch of free throws. That was pretty weird. Will Barton was great. Jamal Murray was okay. Monty Morris actually had a decent game off the bench. Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant split their minutes. And Michael Porter Jr. got 20 minutes and didn't do much with them. As expected. The Atlanta side, we had our eye on a few different guys. Number one, we were watching Alex Len who got himself into foul trouble, still managed to log 21 minutes and had a very tough time with Nikola Jokic. Probably should have seen this one coming, but kind of overlooked it a little bit. He's still on my watch list. He's been playing better. He was aggressive in this one, and he does have chemistry with Trey Young. And when you look at the other options at center, they are not great. DeAndre Hunter had one of his better ball games, but, you know, I'm not big into that thing. Kevin Herter's been playing really, really well lately. He's a must-own, must-start guy. Trey Young, obviously. John Collins, obviously. And then, again, we'll, we'll keep one eye on Alex Len. I know that this was a bad one. This was a, very, a really bad one with the missed free throws, the lack of rebounds, lack of blocks, not good shooting. This is the stuff you fear. But, of course, Denver is a real tough team. So let's watch him. One eye on Alex. Much as I, it's insane to say these words out loud, here we are, and so we will deal with it. Utah beat New Orleans. Looked like Brandon Ingram might have gotten fouled on the last play of this ballgame, but they're going to end up letting it go. It was a heck of a game anyway. Ingram was good. Derek Favors was really good, again, against his old team. Nine points, ten boards, three blocks. He's just been a revelation the last three weeks. Lonzo Ball continued his strong recent play. J.J. Redick, we figured with Drew Holiday out, he and Josh Hart might get pushed sort of back inside the cut line and actually was just Redick. Hart struggled. Etwan Moore took a lot of his minutes, and so we've run into a kind of an issue with New Orleans on that front in that I think my hope was that maybe this team could do enough to get six guys into the mix, but Etwan Moore's resurfacing here has tried to make it seven, and that has no shot. Drew Holiday has such a good fantasy game that he can make sure it happens. Favors Ingram, 
Lonzo lately has been more than good enough, but then with Redick, he needs to be able to get enough shots to be relevant, which he did in this one, but with with Holiday healthy, it hasn't been happening. Josh Hart needs to get in there and fight people for loose balls and get his steals and rebounds, and he didn't get that in this one. So I think you can probably... I know Redick is going to get re-added in a bunch of spots after this big one, but when Holiday comes back, you're looking at probably Drew, Favors, and Ingram, and then maybe Lonzo, who's been really good lately, but even with all of that, he's still just sort of pushing his way back towards the edge of fantasy value. For the year, I should say. Obviously, right now, he's a guy that belongs in your lineup. Sometimes I neglect to mention these those extra little tidbits, and uh, that gets me in trouble. So, yes, obviously, right now, he's, he's playing his butt off. Chicago was uh, competitive with Dallas. That's kind of a win. It was a push, actually, by the way, if you're a, a betting man. Zach Levine, 25-7, and seven, five defensive stats. Larry Markkinen played. He was a game-time decision, and it's a good thing he did because he looked solid. Thad Young actually put up a really nice line in this one, while Chris Dunn dealt with foul trouble and had an ugly one. Six points, two boards, two assists, and a steal. I still think he belongs if you need a bunch of steals. Sato was good, 11-5 and 14, though he didn't shoot the ball well. And nothing really changes on this Chicago side. I wish Thad Young got 28 minutes a game. He might be worth looking at. But generally, nah. For Dallas, Luka Doncic, 38-point triple-double. Missed a bunch of free throws, but damn, well line. Timmy Hardaway came back and rendered Seth Curry fairly useless again. But we're mostly paying attention to DeLon Wright, who was a lot better in this ballgame. Nine points, six boards, three assists, two blocked shots, made all three of his shots and missed one free throw but did it a couple of three-pointers in his super low usage, high efficiency game. And Dwight Powell, perfect game. Six of six from the field, four of four from the foul line. Must own, must start. Not going back on that recommendation these days. So really at this point, I think we can pay attention to Maxi Kleba, who struggled in his fill-in spot for Kristaps in this ball game. Probably worth using as a streamer, but you can see this therein lies some of the issue with guys that are not everyday performers, you're going to get those types of games. But nice to see DeLon Wright wake back up again. He had that very strange ball game in the previous one where he only played seven minutes. This was back more in his normal allotment. And with the efficiency, you can see the type of guy you're getting. Defensive stats, a few of the other things, and then doesn't miss many shots. I like his game a lot. I have for a long time. That last one freaked me out, weirded me out a little bit. But I'm back on Team DeLon. I didn't leave long. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. I know you were worried. So that was good to see. San Antonio in the home portion of their home and home with the Milwaukee Bucks. Beat them up something fierce. Held the Bucks to 40% shooting in this ballgame. San Antonio had 19 three-pointers while shooting 51%. And it, it wasn't necessarily the main cogs that you'd normally expect. Patty Mills had 21 points on 10 shots. LaMarcus was fine, if unspectacular. is a really hard matchup for him. But, I mean, that if that's your worst game, you're fine. DeJounte Murray was great. He had some three-pointers as well. DeMar DeRozan still doesn't really like to shoot the three. Rudy Gay had 17-8. and eight. Spurs are trying because all of a sudden they can sniff that god-awful eighth seed in the West, and so they're finally going for it. <laughs> Goofy stuff. Warriors and Kings. The late one. There weren't many. I think they ever, every other game was done like an hour and a half before the last one. Willie Cauley-Stein went back to Sacramento. He was booed mercilessly, which is a little bit silly. 
not because he wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he was a superstar for that team. And Lord knows he never quite lived up to the potential that they hoped for, but it wasn't like he ran out of town. You know, he didn't say, I got to get out of here. I got to get a con- contender or something. He, he, he was a dutiful soldier for that Kings team who just wasn't very good. And he was fine in his return. Eight points, nine boards, five assists, two steals, and a block. We're good with that. Four out of eight shooting. Didn't have to take a free throw. That's the way you want it with him. Obviously, the big news in this ballgame was Sean Holmes exited midway through the third quarter after banging his shoulder into the chest of uh, also a uh, fantasy NBA to guy, today guy in Damian Lee. Exited the game. Didn't come back. His team was up 30 at the time, so perhaps some of that was part of it. It didn't look great. I mean, we watched the video. There was pretty good collision. It caught him, like, sort of at the base of the neck, so you figured it kind of knocked the shoulder down and back a little bit. But at the very least, it didn't knock it in. That's always the big fear with shoulders is that they get hit, and that's like the Paul George stuff. If they get hit from the side and the shoulder crunches inward, that's where you see a lot of things get pinched. His kind of got blasted down. Like, he was hunched forward, if I can describe this for you see if I can channel my old play-by-play ability. He was leaning down on a jump stop, and so his head was down, and his body was tilted forward, and Damian Lee was coming towards him, and they collided to the right of Rashawn Holmes's ear, basically. So none of Lee's impact was in his main chest area. It all came straight through on the right side of his body. So feel what that would be like. Lean forward and then... Take your your left hand, put it on top of your right shoulder, and kind of bang down on it. So not comfortable, but also not a spot where you see things get dislocated or torn or things like that. It wasn't pulled away or pinched in. So the hope for us, at least, is that this won't be a long-term thing. When it happened, I was really concerned, but he came back out to cheer his team on in the final few minutes. He's traveling with the team to Phoenix for their game tonight. And he actually said he's hopeful to play tonight, which I, I think is, you know, athletes getting a little bit ahead of themselves. I'd be very surprised if he played in this one on the back-to-back right after the injury. But the mere fact that he's traveling, they're not super concerned about it, and we haven't heard about any additional tests being done yet, we're not going to celebrate yet either, is potentially a bullet dodge. So let's hope that that indeed continues to be the case. What does this mean for the Kings? Well, if Marvin Bagley does happen to come back Before Rashawn Holmes, he'll probably see a lot of time at center. We can basically bank on that. In the interim, because it seems like Bagley's not playing tonight, we don't know yet, but I'd be surprised, you'll probably see more Nemanja Bielitsa at the center spot, if I had to guess, and more Harry Giles. It was suggested in King's media circles that maybe Dwayne Dedman gets himself back up out of the doghouse after his public trade demand got him fined, but he'll probably be at best a backup and won't be enough. Shame, really, if he gets moved to a team where he can play some starters minutes, everybody's talking about who to stash in fantasy. Dwayne Dedman should actually be on your list. He's been one of the worst players in fantasy sports this year, outside the top 300. But remember, he did his damage with Atlanta each of the last two years, in under 25 minutes a game, basically. It was right around 25. Last year, he added the three-point shot, and his steal rate went way up, and I don't know if that ends up being sustainable. But if this guy gets moved to a team where he plays 25 minutes, he has top 70, top 80 potential in him. 
or better if he sort of gets back to where he was with Atlanta. So keep a close watch on Deadman. Not for his time with the Kings, but if someone picks him up. There are plenty of teams out there that could use a healthy iteration of Deadman. And he's not old, you know? He's born in 89. He's 30. He's right smack in the middle of when he should be able to do some stuff. He's not on the front end of his career, but he's got, I would think, one or two more normal size years in him based on what we saw in Atlanta, a guy that can hit a three, get you a steal, get you a block. He was at 11-8 and eight with a 1-1-1 last year. That was a great season for him. So keep an eye on that. If he gets moved to a team where they'll give him playing time, he could rocket into fantasy value very fast. He's not a stash because who the hell knows what's going to happen, and the Kings gave him probably more money than he needed to. But... But we're all everybody's talking about Larry Nance and Christian Wood and Sekou Dabuya and all these names that have popped up a million times. No, Deadman's contact is not that bad. It's the fact that it's three years. Is there an opt-out on that thing? There might be. I know it's at least two, and it was three years 40 when he signed it. One thing I don't remember is if there's some sort of option involved in the contract. If not, that makes it obviously a lot harder to move and on a three-year deal. Uh, I think there might be some kind of option on the third year. Someone can correct me on that. I'm not... I am not great with contract stuff. That is where some of my my skills are limited. But let's, let's just say for argument's sake that it is all three years. That makes it a lot harder to move, yeah, because there's a lot left and teams are always trying to clear cap space. But $13 million is not that much to pay for a reasonable center. So maybe there's a spot for him. Keep an eye on it. I don't think he plays enough in Sacramento to be fantasy relevant. And I'm not picking up Harry Giles, even if Rashawn Holmes misses time. Because, again, I, I think you've got too many things coming for those minutes. Rashawn coming back, Bagley, possibly Deadman. Otherwise, you don't change things too much. Trevor Ariza would probably get to play more also. He, had a, he played a lot against Golden State. I don't... He was hot, so they sort of ran with it. Harrison Barnes is warming back up again, but his fantasy game is super whack. De'Aaron Fox is not going to get anywhere close to his ADP this year. I don't, I don't see how he could possibly get there with his free throw and turnover issues, at least in nine cat. And then Nemanja Bielica, he's very much a start guy, especially now that everybody around him keeps getting hurt. So Bagley's still out, Holmes out, whatever. He'll play thirty minutes easy with all of those people on the shelf, and. Frankly, if he hadn't had foul issues repeatedly these last few games, he'd probably have better lines to show for it, too. And he still kind of salvaged one in 27 minutes anyway with 8 points, 10 boards, a couple of threes, and uh, generally does it on good percentages. The Warriors' side, amazingly, is actually the more interesting side of this game because immediately after the game, Marquise Chris got to play a game in his back in his hometown, and then he was immediately waived, which was... Kind of surprising, not because they didn't need to clear out a roster spot, because we've been hearing for a couple of weeks now that the Warriors desperately want to open up a spot so they can sign Damian Lee to a standard NBA contract, because his 45-day two-way deal is expiring today. And it sounds like they'll be doing that here shortly. They'll convert his contract to a full one. They also want to sign Kai Bowman to a full-term deal, so some other waiving might happen. 
I'm sure they're trying to trade Alec Burks. We know he is very much on the block for a team that is going into a tank. I know that there's this fleeting hopes that Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are going to play this year. I, I still don't believe they will. And we're seeing already little injuries causing guys like Draymond Green, D'Angelo Russell to miss a whole bunch of extra time. This is why we told you to try to sell them in December when they had a bunch of games in a row without a back-to-back, and they didn't get hurt. And you guys said, no, look, things look like they're getting better. Yeah, well, that's exactly when you need to sell. It's part of that same discussion again. Selling high, not low. So I don't know who they're going to cut to make room for Kai Bowman. By the time this podcast is out, it may have already happened. Who the hell knows? If I had to guess, I legitimately have no idea. Pascal? I don't know. It's going to be somebody that you don't expect. I don't think they're going to cut Omari Spellman. Probably not Jordan Poole. Be pretty surprised if they cut Willie Cauley-Stein because he's the only person protecting the rim right now. I, I honestly have no idea. I don't have a clue. But the good news here for us, for we fantasy junkies, is that our guy Damian Lee, who we were way ahead of the curve on, and I can tell you I was way ahead of the curve because I have him basically everywhere. Pretty much every single one of my leagues. I have him in 80% of my money leagues this year, which is a stark. I don't have anybody in that many leagues except for Damian Lee because his stat set looks like it's going to play basically in every format. Despite a down game yesterday, which still was actually pretty good when he kind of salvaged it late. Despite a down game, he's number 42 over the last two weeks. On averages of 15, 8, 2.5, 1.5 steals, 1.5 threes, and a high volume 92% at the free throw line. He's a very good foul shooter. He's playing big minutes for this Warriors team, winning or losing. And I said it on a podcast already. There, were, there was discussion on other websites about how when D'Angelo Russell comes back, well, we don't know what's going to happen to him. He was great alongside Russell. You might even make the argument he was better alongside Russell because he had opportunities to go slash and cut and chase down rebounds, and he wasn't relied upon for scoring in any way. His field goal percent plummeted when Russell got hurt. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. Steal rate's been pretty good. We don't have a whole lot to go on there, but I'm going to just assume that it, it'll basically stick because... You know, what the hell else do we have to base it on? He played 27 minutes a game for Atlanta two years ago and averaged 1.3 steals. So does that mean that his per 36s are like 1.6, 1.7? Maybe. If he's playing 30-plus minutes for the Warriors, he could really average a steal and a half. Not going to block any shots. He has one, I think, the entire year at this point. Two in his whole career, by the way. But he's out there long enough to get two assists a game or more, 2.2 right now on the season. And he rebounds exceptionally well for a wing player. He's at 5.3 rebounds in 26 minutes a game. He could get up into the sixes in 30 minutes a game for sure. So the only thing you hope for is that his field goal percent doesn't hurt you too much. It hasn't been great, but it's been better lately as he's kind of settled in. His free throw numbers have been outstanding. He's missed two free throws in like a month. 88% on the year, 86% briefly last year with Golden State. So that's where we're going to assume he is, that he's a good foul shooter. If it if it levels off to some other number, fine. We'll address that when it happens. But he's a must-own, must-start guy until further notice, and it may very well be the rest of the year. He could end up being a really nice pickup that none of us really saw coming. And in the who's going to actually get to do stuff for the Warriors sweepstakes, he looks like a guy that's separating himself a little bit because he's doing it nightly. What you want from these guys, 
And Alec Burks managed to, to sort of win that sweepstakes as well. What you want from these guys is when they're having a down game, they're still good enough where they're not killing you. And that's what happened with Lee in this one. He had a down game, but he still managed eight points, five boards, a three, and a couple of steals, and two assists, while the other stuff was falling apart for a Warriors team that was getting just absolutely crushed in this ballgame. And the best news of all, want to know who led the Warriors in minutes played? Not Lee, but you want to know who was second on the team? Damian Lee. Big minutes are coming his way. You knew it wasn't going to shoot like 55-60% for the long haul, but he's got opportunity. I love it. I'm excited about it. I think we're going to go ahead and keep this Tuesday show a little bit on the shorter side. We'll go ahead and break down, obviously, the, the games coming up this evening from a fantasy perspective. We'll give you some betting things to look for as well. But tomorrow, Wednesday show, we're going to get back into guest segments. Really excited about that. Talking to Brandon Marcus. It's Brandon Day tomorrow, obviously, so we'll do some buy low, sell high. Thursday, we're going to talk to Pedro Doreste, one of our editors here at Hoopball. You might remember his sustainable, I believe we called it keep the change, right? Things that we were expecting to have some delta, things that are either going to change or not. So those will be some really cool segments. And uh, then Friday, we'll do our weekend edition. So still plenty of good stuff coming up even after this one. We got one piece of news. I didn't really talk about Kyrie very much. I sort of mentioned it in passing, which seems almost like I'm bearing the lead on two key guys. So let's pause briefly here before we get to the, the, the Tuesday upcomings. Or you know what? Screw it. Let's do the Tuesday fantasy upcoming. We'll do some breaking news. That's not really breaking. And uh, then we'll close with betting thoughts. Tuesday, Portland is at Toronto with no Freddie Van Fleet. So that changes things a little bit. I think, and I'm not willing to risk it, I think you're going to get an okay game out of Terrence Davis. But there is almost no chance that I'm picking it up and rolling him out there. In advance of this ball game, yeah, I... I Simply don't have the stones for that. Not even remotely close. But if he does something great and we find out that Van Fleet is going to miss a bunch of time, well, then maybe you can adjust things a little bit. Portland side is fairly straightforward. It really obviously comes down to whether or not C.J. McCollum is playing in this ballgame. He is questionable as of now. If he's out, then you're going to get some more Simons, but mostly just a whole truckload of Damian Lillard. And some extra shots for Carmelo Anthony. And for Toronto, we've gone down this road before. I don't trust the other backups. I just want the main guys. And that includes OG Ananobi, especially now with no Freddie Van Fleet. He's going to have to do something, even if he doesn't really feel like it. Detroit is in Cleveland, and this one is a weird one. Put this one on your homework assignment chart for a number of reasons. Number one, Detroit... And that's one of the, the news items we're going to be talking about here in just a moment. Detroit may or may not be without Blake Griffin for an extended stretch, which it seems like needed to be the case. Just watching Blake play, even, even a couple of times, you know, I, I flip through my league pass and I, I catch Blazers games, he was barely moving. So to hear that he is now, and again, we'll get to this in a second, considering a longer-term option, that's not that surprising. What I don't know is we don't have a great update on Markeith Morris. We don't have a great update on Luke Kennard, who is expected to be reevaluated here in the, in the coming couple of days, so maybe we'll learn more on that front. Which means, are we going to see more Sekou Dumbuya? 
Are we going to see more Christian Wood? Are we going to see more Bruce Brown? We know Andre Drummond and we know Derrick Rose are going to play a whole bunch. And we still don't know anything. I mean, there was word like a month ago that Reggie Jackson wasn't that far from maybe coming back, and he's just vanished off the face of the earth as well. Have they gone officially here early into mega tank mode? Are we there now? I don't know. So, this is one of those spots in fantasy where my style of play ends up kind of hurting you a little bit. And you guys listen to this podcast every day, and for that I'm extremely grateful. But I am usually a little bit shy about diving in on tank guys this early in the season. Because we're still talking about three full months of basketball left. January, February, March, and part of April. So a little more than three, although you get the all-star break in there, so it shaves a week off. So it's about three months. We're like two and a half months in, so we're not even at the halfway point of the season yet, right? So it's really hard for me to visualize a team saying, you know, F it, we're done, and just rolling out youth exclusively the rest of the way. Now, if Blake Griffin ends up having surgery... It doesn't give them a whole lot of choice. Do they then play Markeith Morris when he comes back, or do they shut him down? Do they play Luke Kennard if or when he's healthy, or do they shut him down? All of these questions are things that, if the Pistons go into maximum rebuild, you still don't really have the answer to it. Teams go into rebuild and still play their main guys all the time. They're going to be bad regardless. They could bench everybody or start everybody, and they're still not going to be very good. So that doesn't, that doesn't really change much from our perspective. They're going to lose ball games. Okay. Are they just going to roll out young guys for 35 minutes a night? Maybe. I think people are a little bit overexcited about Dumbuya's game so far. I know he had those two double-doubles. And I know that he played 34 minutes before fouling out against the Lakers. And so there is a certain amount of intrigue there, especially with the big minutes. But here's a few reasons to be skeptical. Number one, he basically didn't play at all until January 2nd against the Clippers. I mean, he played three total minutes in the Pistons' previous five games combined. Guys don't usually go from full DNPs to 35 minutes a game and just stick for the entire season. It might happen, but I don't. I have roster spots that I'm using on other things right now. Christian Wood is a little bit of a different story for me because we've seen him do it before. It feels like his defensive stats have to come back a little bit. They can't really be this bad all season long, right? And the Pistons are hoping to move Andre Drummond prior to the trade deadline. Almost definitely, because he's basically said he's going to go into full free agency And in all likelihood, that means he's going to go someplace that he has a better chance to win and can pay him. A combo that the Pistons simply can't offer. And yes, I know. Someone might come back. That's also a big man that could get in the way of Christian Wood. I get it. But as it stands right now, you're looking at a potential long-term Blake Griffin absence. Markeith Morris, who, who in the hell knows if he's going to play or if he gets moved. Or that's an easier plug to pull. Like, why run him out there every day? I mean, maybe he ends up being a guy that you pick up at some point. Right now, the guy is Christian Wood, because Keith is out, Griffin is out. And so you've cleared out a little bit of a runway for Wood to get his 
usually in that 24-minute range, and that should be enough for him. I simply can't, I can't wrap my head around the idea that Dembuya is going to play 34 minutes a game the rest of the way. It seems decidedly improbable. Not impossible, but improbable that a guy that was playing not at all is suddenly just going to log like Raptors-level starters minutes the rest of the way. So I would certainly prefer Wood over Dembuya. I think you could make a case to pick up Luke Kennard and just wait to see what this first evaluation says. Basically asking, is his knee good enough to get back on a court? Because if it is, it could be sweet. Because all these other guys are cooked, and we know he can be pretty good when he's getting the usage. He was a lot of fun the first two or three weeks of the year when no Blake Griffin. If that's the case again, Kennard could be really good again. There aren't that many guys on your waiver wire that are that possess that level of upside. So that's why this game is a, a homework game. Look at what they're doing. Keep really close tabs on everything happening with Detroit because this team could go from being really nebulous to being very clear in a heartbeat. But right now they are nebulous as hell. They've given no indication of what they want to do with these guys. We know that their rumor mill is swirling around Drummond. I've got to assume it's swirling around a guy like Markeith Morris too, although who the hell really wants him. And then what do they do? Are we seeing the first signs of it? Possibly. So that's why I like Wood. Even though the last couple of games, Dembuya could make the argument had better fantasy games and played more minutes. That's inarguable, the minutes thing. I just, I have to believe that his number comes back down a little bit. He's at a crazy high rate right now. Cleveland side is another story. They waived two players that they didn't want to have to guarantee contracts for, Tyler Cook and Alfonso McKinney. There's a possibility they may actually re-sign one or both of those guys. Twitter went crazy, thinking that perhaps those guys getting cut was leading to a trade, but that didn't end up happening on uh, Monday night. But it might be coming soon. Until then, I think you have to assume that everything stays about the same in Cleveland. Colin Sexton is going to take a lot of inefficient stuff. Darius Garland, minimal signs of life. Kevin Porter's now hurt. And they're just a fantasy graveyard. But we're watching. Lord knows we're watching and hoping that something actually shakes out of this tree. Oklahoma City, Brooklyn, neither one of these teams is super interesting, although we'll get a a slightly longer look at Karis LeVert now and his second game back from thumb surgery. I don't have a ton of additional thoughts on that front. I'm hoping that Nerland's Noel misses just enough time for him to get dropped in some league so I can scoop him up, but it's probably not going to happen. Minnesota-Memphis should be a fun one. I'm interested in a few different things. Number one, I want to know how many minutes Jeff Teague is going to play in his second game back from injury. My hope is that it's back up into the 20s. I want to know what Carl Anthony Towns' status is. He's still questionable as far as I know, but you're just rolling Gorgie Jang out until the lights turn off on that one. Shabazz Napier has been outstanding, so you just roll him out until the lights turn out there too. And that's despite Andrew Wiggins coming back. And then Jarrett Culver, I'm sure, got added in all sorts of places after his Gigantor game a couple days ago. I think that was Sunday. That was a Sunday game. 14-3-3 with six defensive stats. Despite that game, he's still struggling mightily. He's just inside the top 100, despite averaging 3.3 defensive stats over the last week. 
because he's shooting 38% on 15 shots a game and 38% on two free throws a game. He's gone full mental break at the free throw line. You just, boy, you just can't use that. He's killing you in certain places. He's got to do so much everywhere else to cover up that fact. That's white side level bad. Not this year. But obviously keep him on your radar because if his mental blip goes away and the neurons fire and the synapses reconnect and whatever, then obviously there's a lot of upside there. But he's just, he can't make a bucket to save his life. Meanwhile, Memphis, they're playing their butts off right now. Jonas Valanciunas is feasting. Ah, I'm excited about that. You guys know I love JV. Uh, he's up inside the top 70 now. Just keeps on climbing. Keeps on climbing. He's got this weird down free throw shooting month that I can't fully explain. He's number 24 over the last two weeks, however, because he's shooting 81% at the line over the last two weeks. He's been fantastic. Early round center last couple of weeks for JV. Brandon Clark, he'll be fine up and down. He's going to do it with his field goal percent. Very quiet, strong fantasy game. Jaron Jackson Jr. has been good. They're winning ballgames. They're right outside of a playoff spot. Remarkable news on that front. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Didn't see the rest of the West behind them being this bad either. Sacramento Phoenix, this is the second half of back-to-back in Phoenix, Sacramento, after dealing with the Warriors last night, they'll try to handle the Suns tonight. Phoenix in the Twin Towers, does that continue? If it does, I still like Aaron Baines. Mikhail Bridges is another guy you definitely need to have your eye on. And then New York is in L.A. Alfred Payton is questionable. Uh, personal stuff going on. I think then he got something else. I forget the exact storyline on that one. He's a guy I'm watching because I don't like his fantasy game. Everybody's trying to convince me that I should like his fantasy game, and I still don't. And then the Lakers are the Lakers. If they block 20 shots again, cool. All right, the two big storylines, and I, you know, the fact that we sort of didn't really dive into them quickly, that's, that's a knock on me. This should have come, come up first thing. And that is both Blake Griffin and Kyrie Irving are in the news for all the wrong reasons, injury-wise, right now. Blake Griffin is seeing a specialist and is considering what would basically be, at this point, season-ending knee surgery. And Kyrie Irving, and this was a day and a half ago at this point, probably should have covered it in more detail already, held a press conference that basically said, I'm living on cortisone, that he had a cortisone injection and he's just hoping for the best. What I mentioned briefly on yesterday's show, and we'll talk about it on this one as well, is that... This is really less about the individual players involved and, and something and, and something that you should have planned for in one case, but maybe not the other, but maybe a little bit of both. That's all fine. We can, we can try to take whatever lessons we away from this that we want. And the anybody that listens to this podcast all season long, you know that I am a huge advocate of just not messing up your first three or four round picks. Your first-round pick, take a guy who you know is going to give you reliable value. Second round, same thing. Third round, same thing. Fourth, same thing. By the fifth, if those guys are still around, I mean, you still take them. But by that point, you can start to do a little bit more exploration. Blake Griffin is a guy that we've warned you guys not to draft for the entire existence of this podcast, so like three years now. The 
Kyrie Irving is a guy that I'll admit, I thought, okay, you know, what if I get 60-something games out of him at a top 10 clip? That's still not bad. And I was considering it at the end of the first round. So if he had fallen to me or if I'd been in that spot, I could have gotten stuck with that one. And now we're all on the hook. Let's say hypothetically that we have these. Number one, with Blake Griffin, you're probably dropping him anyway because he's been so terrible with that knee that there's kind of nothing you can do about it. And obviously, if, if he opts for surgery, you, you flip him to the wire. That makes everybody's decision easy. With Kyrie Irving, it doesn't sound like there's a surgery thing that is imminent. Although maybe I'm wrong on that one. Time will tell. It sounds like he's just trying to piece it together. He's trying to he's trying to be healthy enough to do anything at all. Every note that I'm seeing on Kyrie net right now is basically just saying he's done. And that might be right. That really might be right. He might be done for the year. This might be a true punt season for him. But I don't see I don't know that I I like the idea that he's just going to not play the rest of this year for a team that is going to make the playoffs. Largely because the bottom of the Eastern Conference is really, really bad. Is that something that we really... I know that this is not their championship run year, and that's next season with the, you know whatever iteration of Kevin Durant comes back next season. That's when they're going to really make their push. But isn't there an argument to be made that every season has some measure of value and a franchise having some playoff games is a good thing? Do they really want him to just not play? I don't think so. And I think the fact that the sky is starting to fall a tiny bit on their little happy chemistry run is an indicator that they do still kind of need him. They've lost six games in a row now. They're only three games up on the Hornets, though I still believe the Nets ultimately are going to make the playoffs and the Hornets, Bulls, Pistons, Wiz, Cavs, Knicks, Hawks, those guys are all going to be on the outside looking in. But we're seeing it come in crystal clear. They do kind of need him. They need that offensive punch. We'll see if Karis LeVert makes any difference in the matter. I, I'm skeptical. I am skeptical. But I, I, I have to believe that he tries to get back out there. I don't know that you can I don't know that you can sell right now. I don't know that you could get anything. I saw somebody asking if they should just drop him, and the answer to that sadly still is no, even though he's been out for a couple of months and he's just burned in a hole at the end of your roster. All of this loopity loop talking that we've been doing brings us to one key final point, and that is if you have Blake Griffin. I have no problem with you cutting him because he's terrible. If you have Kyrie Irving, you're talking about a guy that before this shoulder thing was the number five fantasy player in the first 11 games this year. Number five. Ahead of Luka Doncic. Ahead of Dame, Kawhi, Embiid, Drummond, LeBron, Giannis, Ahead of all of those guys. We have no idea what's happening. But if he comes back for even a month, 
he could totally change your team. If he plays 11 games at the end of the year, he changes your team completely. I've got to think he's coming back at some point, and I would beg of you to hold on as long as you can. And that's my thoughts on those guys. Before we talk about betting, I want to remind everybody that we are brought to you by, sponsored by, supported by our buddies at mybookie.ag. Open up a new account at mybookie.ag today with the promo code, the word today, T-O-D-A-Y, and they will match your deposit 50% bonus. You brought you deposit 400 bucks, they'll give you an extra 200. You deposit a grand, they'll give you 500 up to a $1000 bonus, meaning that if you put in 2 grand, they'll give you $1000 of bonus cash to play with. Super Bowl's coming up. That's less than a month away. Great thing to play with over at my bookie, or you can just follow our NBA picks. Those will be pretty good for you as well. They got the fastest payouts, best pr- promotions and a helpful 24-7 customer service operation. It's mybookie.ag, promo code T-O-D-A-Y. And as a bonus promotion, if you open up an account, or maybe you've already done one, screenshot it and shoot it our way, either on Twitter, at Dan Vespers, or at Hoopball Fantasy, or email me, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com, with a screenshot of your MyBookie account opening with the promo code today, and you'll be entered into a raffle for some hoop ball swag. You know you love it. You know you want it. Get in on that nonsense. Get in on that silliness. And join us at mybookie.ag. Oh, and before we talk about the actual betting liens that we have for this evening, thought I might make mention once again of this really unbelievably successful recruitment call that went out. I threw a tweet just into the ether yesterday two days ago and something like 17 of you have written back to me I want to put a little more shine on that and let you guys know that remember when we did our big recruiting push right before the season started that was like two and a half three months ago and and we filled up all of our blurb shifts and everything was golden well as I promised you guys people have dropped out they found it to be either too complicated or schedules didn't align. So we are back to needing blurb shifts again. So if you want to learn how to write for fantasy, and you can write in reality, but you just haven't done it for sports before, hit me up. We are definitely on the prowl. The great Mike Pasador and our buddy Pedro Doreste, who we'll again be talking to on Thursday, are looking for the best and the brightest to help fill up our newswire. And that grows right into article writing. And before you know it, You're a damn fantasy analyst. So if you're big into this stuff, if you think you've got the chops, hit me up on that one, at Dan Vespers on Twitter, or email teamhoopball at hoopdashball.com. It is quite easy to get linked up and way less easy to actually make it through the year. It's not, uh, I mean, this is, yes, it's sort of like a a glorified hobby at times, but if you want to really do this, you got to sink your teeth into it. Betting liens, as promised. Not quite as many as Monday. Remember, we had three on uh, Monday night, and two of the three were successful. Portland is at Toronto. Blazers a two-and-a-half-point underdog on the road against the Raptors, who are down more players at this point, which tells you all you need to know that Portland is basically a neutral site. Nothing in this matchup. The three-point swing to home court puts us at basically a zero line. Portland's been terrible and this is what they think of Toronto now with everybody out. They're just, they aren't. They're not as good. I mean, there's there's no other way around it, right? Toronto 
down Freddie Van Fleet, Marc Gasol, Pascal Siakam. The list is pretty crazy at this point, but they've got Kyle Lowry still. They've got Serge Ibaka still. They've got OG Ananobi, who has certainly tailed off after his quick start to the year. I think they'll be competitive. I don't really have a strong lean in this particular ballgame. I think it could go very easily either way. And looking at Toronto's schedule, they're coming off a nice road win at Brooklyn. They've got Charlotte coming up. It's an opportunity to maybe grab a couple of victories while most of their team is kaput. And, of course, with Lowry playing 40 minutes a game, it's just a question of how long before potentially he goes down. they got to be real careful. And my season win total over bet, which still looks pretty good, because nobody expected them to do anything at all this year, is certainly scarier when their entire team is on the shelf. But 24-12, and we're okay. Detroit at Cleveland, we already mentioned on the fantasy side, Pistons three-and-a-half-point road favorites at the Cavs. I mean, you just don't even know what to expect at these two teams right now. It's very hard to bet on teams where you don't even know who's going to be playing, so I move along from that one. Oklahoma City at Brooklyn, Thunder two-and-a-half-point road favorites against the slumping Nets. This is... A tough spot because, you know, right now we're this line is telling you Oklahoma City is a actually a seven and a half. Well, no, wait a minute. Both these teams play last night. Yeah, they're both on the second half of a back-to-back. So that wipes out that two-point swing. So Oklahoma City would be a five-and-a-half-point neutral site favorite. That's a pretty big line, and it, it's basically baking into the fact that Brooklyn has been in a prolonged skid I'd say Oklahoma City, because they've been winning the games that they are supposed to win for the most part, but this is scary when you're laying points on the road against a kind of hungry Brooklyn team. I'd be very careful getting into this, getting into bed with this ball game. Minnesota-Memphis, both these teams have been playing pretty well, actually, while they've been beat up. Uh, Memphis coming back home off a very successful road trip. Slightly into the Grizzlies, although, as we've seen, Minnesota playing harder lately, and that... They've actually been one of the better defenses in the league, and that makes me a little bit nervous there, too. Sacramento catching six and a half on the road in Phoenix. I like the Kings, actually, in this one. Although, we wait, of course, on the Rashawn Holmes situation. And if he's out, then maybe you just leave this one alone. And then Lakers, 13-point favorites against the Knicks. you got to like the Knicks catching that many points with as well as, I mean, it's crazy to say, as well as they've played lately and as kind of autopilot-y as the Lakers have played lately, you got to take a whole bunch of points. That would probably be my strongest lean on the card this evening. That about does it for us on this Tuesday edition of the show. Tomorrow, Brandon Marcus back with us. The Wednesday edition, Brandon Day is back. Excited about that. We'll do some buy low, sell high stuff again Thursday. Pedro Doreste will be on with us to break down some keep the change, little sustainable and unsustainable stat trends. And then Friday, we'll wrap up the week, get you set for the weekend. Thanks for listening again, everybody. Hit me up if you want to be a part of our mess here at Hoopball. We would love to have you again. Fill in those blurb shifts right now. Drop a five-star review on the podcast if you so choose. And of course, take part in our newsletter promo. The number of retweets is counting now. We're up into the 40s and 50s, so get in there while the opportunity is still ripe. It's a whole week of it. We'll be counting these bad boys. Signups and retweets, and if you've already signed up, great. All you'd have to do at that point is retweet, so go do that. Again, the original tweet was sent from at Fantasy at 8 a.m. Pacific time on Monday. Have a great Tuesday, everyone. We will talk to you tomorrow.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.